Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we can come to hear your word, to learn um, from you. We pray that you would bless our worship and our fellowship and that we would apply what we learned today. We thank you for your grace and amen. So today we're doing part five. This one actually will be the last part of our series, How to Fight Pride and Pursue Humility. And um, as always, we'll briefly go over what we talked about last week. So last week's message was all about how to spot pride in your own heart. And we went over um, general signs that a person has a problem with pride, and then we went over some very specific signs that like, you know, this is totally pride. Um, so we'll just quickly recap that list. Um, number one, if you often have critical things to say about others. Uh, number two, if you're always worried about what others think of you, because that shows you're always focused on yourself and not on others. Um, number three, if in general you wish everyone would just do things your way, your way is not always right. You shouldn't want everyone else to just do things your way all the time. That's a sign of pride. Um, if the majority of your conversation is about yourself, that's a sign of pride. That's a sign you don't look out for the interests of others. Um, if you don't like to hear correction, that's definitely a sign of pride. There's several verses we looked at in Proverbs about how the scoffer doesn't want to hear rebuke. Um, if, when you see other, if you're always feeling sorry for yourself, that is a sign of a problem with pride. Because it comes from entitlement and it comes from always focusing on ourselves and not on others. If when we see others stumble morally, we get mad and think, that's unbelievable, I never would have done that. Um, that's a sign of pride. It's by God's grace, we're not more sinful than we are. If you hate to ask other people for things, and we also looked at if you are always asking people for things, both of those might be a sign of pride. Number nine, it's obvious, but it's worth mentioning. If you think you're better than others. I've known people who thought they were better than others and they thought it wasn't pride because they thought it was true. <laughs> and sadly, I'm not joking about that. Um, number 10, if you get really mad when others wrong you. We looked at how the more important you feel like you are, the more mad you'll get when other people wrong you because the more important a person is, the more wrong it is to do something wrong against them. We also looked at uh, if you frequently blame others for problems in your life, that's a sign of pride, or if you're unwilling to submit to others. Then we looked at six specific signs of pride. Uh, you know, if, if you ever catch these happening in your life or in your heart, you know it's pride. Um, number one, if you get upset when other people get praised or when they get attention, uh, that's, you know, out of pride. There's no good reason for that to happen. Number two, if it hurts to apologize to someone. Um, I like number three. If you're motivated to do a good deed and then you find out others won't see it or appreciate it and you lose motivation. I think we've all felt that before, if we're honest. Um, number four, when someone else, you know, scores a point or solves a problem or does something good and you feel upset because you wish it was you who did it. We're a team as the church. We should always be happy when the team wins. 
Like, if we're not happy that our team won because we wish it was us, then we totally don't get it. Similar to that, if you get an idea to do something nice for someone and you hope no one else does it before you because you want to be the one to do it. You know, this is something that probably happens to us all eventually. Um, and number six, if you get a little upset when you realize something went well because of God and not because of you. And that can happen to anyone. That happens to me. Can, can they turn you up some? I'm having trouble hearing you. Yeah, they should be able to. And um, if you would like a list of these points, we have the handout from last week, and it is on our website if you go to the podcast on the website. Can I interrupt for just a minute? Yeah. I'm just uh, interested in your process for making this list, because I remember uh, for many years seeking the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us to humble ourselves, and I've heard many good Bible teachers talk about how uh, God won't he may, um, if we walk in pride, pride will up before a fall. We'll have more basis for humbling ourselves. Yep. We'll, uh, you know, we'll lack wisdom. We'll make, you know, we'll have trouble with certain sins, whatever. But um, in terms of like discerning pride in your heart, I've never seen as good and thorough and practical of a list as that. And boy, every one of them are things that I've thought about and used to help me in my journey toward. Because we all, when we come to Christ, are totally pride. That's the essence of being a sinful nature. And uh, pride is uh, quite clearly in the Bible a huge deception that we can't see. Obadiah, verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You know, and, uh, you know the Bible talks about the, uh, uh, you know, the, the deceptiveness of sin and pride and so on. So, was this like a list that you, as you sought the Lord and walked towards humility, that you came up with over your years of experience, or um, did you get some help from any uh, things you read, uh, like a, an article along those lines, or what? I think most of it was just ways where I was proud and God showed me I was uh, humble in, at least, or needed to be humble in. At least the six specific ones, those were all things where I was like, these clearly happened to me, and then I would realize that it was pride because God revealed that to me. Uh, the 12 general ones, some of those came over time, some of those came from reading other books, um, but it's kind of just something that got built up in my memory over time, and then during sermon prep, I just slowly wrote it all down. Well, you know, I just want to say, you know, I've been a Christian now, uh, let's see, 47 years, and this is the most practical list of things to help you see pride in your life that I've ever seen. Very, very good stuff. I, if there's, you know, like, you can't obviously uh, take every Bible verse and put it all over your bathroom walls or whatever, but if there's uh, one tool you'd want to keep printed and, you know, maybe have it, you know, on the uh, love compartment or the dashboard of your car or on the mirror next to where you shave or whatever, this, these two lists, the, the general list and the specific, uh, would be very good tools to keep in front of you and not just like here once and forget about it. Yeah. This is very good stuff. Thank you. Yep, and that's why we have printout handouts for this series. But I'm excited for today's list. This is maybe my favorite one from this series. 
which we're going to get into now. Helpful, tip, helpful tips for being and staying humble. Um, I like this one. This one will be fun. So it can be hard to be humble, and what's worse is it can be hard to stay humble. And unfortunately, sometimes we do become humble or more humble and then become prideful over it. You don't have to be prideful over being humble, but it can happen. So that is something to watch out for. Anyways, helpful tips for being and staying humble. Number one, believe you are an unworthy servant only doing what ought to be done. Let's take a look at Luke 17, 7 through 10. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing, it's a bit feedbacky. Can you turn it down a bit? Or adjust the game? But Luke 17, 7 through 10. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? and afterward you can eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. I remember the first time I read that, I, I was read it and I was surprised. I'd like never seen that before. I'm like, whoa, that's humbling. <laughs> We are unworthy servants. We have only done that which is our duty. And half the time, that's not even true. I feel like you could adjust it to say, we're unworthy servants, and I somewhat did what I should have done. And then I neglected to do the other part of it. If you struggle with temptation to be proud or to exalt yourself in your heart, over like your Christian growth or service, turn to this verse regularly. I'm an unworthy servant. I've only done what ought to have been done, if even. This is very helpful. This helped me a lot with struggles with pride. And if you struggle with pride or self-exaltation, you should memorize this verse. Number two. Realize we never give God anything that he did not first give to us. This is a bit of a longer passage than we usually read, but let's turn to 1 Chronicles 29, 1 through 14. <clears throat> then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold and silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx and other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving 
all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for his holy temple. I am donating more than 112 tons of gold and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings. And for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen, now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? That's a lot of gold just so far. We're going to get more gold in a bit. Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals, the captains of the army, and the king's administrators, administrative officers, gave willingly for the construction of the temple. They gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. They also contributed numerous precious stones which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, a descendant of Gershon. The people rejoice over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and the king David was filled with joy. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory. Everything in heaven on earth is yours. O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. For you rule everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. O Lord, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Now we get to verse 14, and they had given quite a lot. Verse 14, but who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have given comes from you. We only gave what you first gave us. If you're struggling with pride over giving a lot or serving a lot or making a lot of sacrifices, this is really helpful. We have only given what God first gave us. If you give all your time and live and bleed and die for God's kingdom, you're giving the time and life that God gave you first. If you give all your money to God's kingdom, you're giving money that God gave you first. It's something, you know, giving and living for God's kingdom is worth it, but it's nothing to exalt ourselves over. We have only given what God first gave to us. Just those two principles alone, just always remembering those and keeping those in mind will help a person a good bit with not exalting themselves. Helpful principle number three, seek to see God's glory. So this one makes a big difference. Um, I've experienced this a lot. There's been times where I've really been struggling with pride and self-exaltation, and then I get into worship, and I start to see God's glory, and I just kind of snap out of it, like of my mood of exalting myself. Because compared to God's glory, you know, we're nothing. But the nice thing about worship is 
We can be content to be nothing in comparison to God when we get to enjoy his glory. You know, pride has to do with desire to be honored. We desire to be honored. And it's a struggle to give that up because we desire it. But it's easy when we get to replace it with a better joy. And seeing God's glory is a better joy than being honored. But if we're just trying to replace, you know, the enjoyment we'd get from being honored with nothing, it'll be difficult. But worship causes people, you know, it, it hinders self-exaltation. If you really see God's glory, it'll snap you out of, like, self-exaltation. I really like Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. Let's take a look at it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, when you see the King, the Lord of hosts, in glory, when you experience that in worship, that changes your heart. It causes you to see yourself more accurately. Woe is me, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. If you're struggling with self-exaltation, seek to see God's glory. It's very helpful in defeating self-exaltation. Tip number four. Learn to keep your desires for honor under control. Overall, this one's probably the most helpful one because pride has to do with desire. If we didn't desire to be honored, it'd be a lot easier to just choose to not exalt ourselves. Even if we thought we were something, if we didn't have desire to be honored, it'd be easy to just choose to forget about it and focus on others. Desire to be honored really is the heart of pride. Desire has more to do with it than like what you intellectually think of yourself. But anyways, so if we could keep our desires for honor under control, that would be really helpful. That's about the most helpful thing we could do. So I have four sub-tips on how to do that. Number one, remember that reward is better than honor. Let's take a look at Proverbs 12, verse 9. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. I like that. Everyone can agree with that. It's kind of common sense. And this kind of has to do with what I was saying before. You know, we, we desire to honor ourselves because we get enjoyment out of it. We need, it makes it so much easier if we can replace that enjoyment with another enjoyment. You should remember that reward is better than honor. But moreover, Jesus motivated humility with reward. You know, the parable of the servant, or not of the servant, the, Jesus gave a few parables that show that God rewards or exalts, you know, those who humble themselves. 
And that reward is more desirable than any honor we can get from others or give ourselves. And we need to see that. That will help us immensely to keep our level of desire for honor under control. Also, you know, let's look at Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. God rewards humility. He promises it. And his reward for it is much more desirable than being honored. I really do love um, just how clear Proverbs 12.9 puts it, though. Better to be lowly and have a servant than play the great man and lack bread. That's just helpful to keep in mind. So sometimes previously I've read some of the verses we've just read, like Luke 17, 7 through 10, about being an unworthy servant, and we only do that which we ought to do, and that like hurt me emotionally, like it's a hurt to my pride, and it's tempting to struggle with and to not want to accept it, to not want to do it. It like is painful to say that about myself, but it makes it, it makes the pain go away if you think God rewards humility. This is worth doing. I'm not just like making fun of myself and saying, oh, low is me. And, you know, for one, you're thinking of yourself accurately, but two, God rewards it. Because it's painful to humble ourselves sometimes. Sometimes it's painful to humble ourselves. That's just how it is sometimes. But God rewards humility. And if we keep that in mind, that'll make it a lot easier to be willing to humble ourselves. I think it also helps me to like not be proud over growing in humility, knowing that I'm, I'm only doing what's in my own best interest. This isn't some noble thing, like some big noble sacrifice I'm doing for the sake of God or others. I'm just doing that which is in my own best interest, because God rewards humility. It's not some big special thing. Number two, tip number two for keeping your desires for honor under control. Work on your emotional insecurities. So we've, we've looked at before how emotional insecurities will drive you to care more than you should about what others think of you, and that will cause you to focus on yourself, and that is pride. Um, you know, I wish I could get more into this, but this is a very deep subject, too big to tackle today. So for now, I'll just mention I hope to produce more content that will be helpful for this type of thing in the future, but for now you could go back and look at the series dealing with your own objections about the church's love for you, or the series dealing with your own objections about God's love for you, and both of those would be helpful. But, you know, one major thing to keep in mind is your emotional insecurities are something you can change, but they won't change if you're not intentional about it. There's something you can change, but they won't change if you're not intentional about it. But growing out of them will greatly help to keep your desires for honor under control. And that is a big help in being humble and staying humble. Tip number three for keeping your levels, uh, your desire for honor under control. Think about how much God loves you and how because of that you don't need to do glorious things. 
It's easy when we don't really think of ourselves in light of God's love for us to think, I need to do this, I need to do that. Because um, we kind of have this you know, feeling that we need to do something big to be accepted or to be sufficient. And that can get mixed in with desire for honor. Um, but you know, if, if we really accept God's love, we should realize we don't have to do glorious things. We were created for a relationship with God, and that's enough. And similar to that, point number four, be content in the love God has for you and the honor he gives you. If you're a child of God, God honors you because he loves you. He thinks quite highly of you if you're a child of God. And contentment in that will really change things in this area. It makes it so much easier to keep your desire for honor under control if you can be content in the love and honor that God gives you. Moreover, um, everybody's heart was kind of, you know, we're all built for relationship with God. And so we kind of have desires for certain things that can only be found in God's love and in knowing God's love. Um, you know, some feeling of sufficiency and security. There are certain emotional benefits we get from knowing God's love. And if we don't get them from God's love, we're going to seek to fulfill them elsewhere. And there's only two other places to look to fulfill them for the most of it. Honor from other people and honor from ourselves. If we're not content, if we don't get uh, the emotional benefit God wants us to get out of knowing his love, we'll seek it elsewhere, inevitably. Our hearts will want to look for it elsewhere. And it will almost always look for those things that we should be getting from God in honor from others or in thinking highly of ourselves. And it will never fulfill us and it will lead to pride. One of the best things a person can do to fight pride is to just learn to be content and happy in the love that God has for them. And when I say happy, I don't mean like God loves me, I'm happy all the time. You know, that's nonsense. Paul knew God's love pretty well and he had many problems and lots of suffering and a great amount of grief. But being content in God's love will make it a lot easier to be humble because we'll, we'll be able to enjoy the honor he gives us. And that'll give us less desire to enjoy honoring ourselves or honor from others. God's honor is better anyways. So that was point number four keeping desires for honor under control. Helpful tip number five, focus on others. You know, having a heart focused on God and focused on others is what the core of humility is anyways. We're actually going to um, hit this point again later in the sermon, but, you know, focus on serving others. The more focused on serving others you are, the more humble you are. It's basically synonymous. If you're genuinely in your heart focused on serving them sincerely for nothing in return, that is humility. 
humility and sincere desire to serve others are synonymous. And not just that, but when it comes to focusing on others, just genuinely appreciating others helps you to be humble. You know, if you don't have appreciation for others, then you'll probably just go around thinking about how great you are. But if you genuinely appreciate the things other people do, you know, then that's thoughts about them, and that will detract from only thinking about you and the things that you do and the things you contribute. Appreciation, um, you know, it, it fights against pride. Appreciation for others. I think an, uh, one thing we need to get with this is we need to learn to kind of be able to see life through other people's eyes and think about how they are a being just as much as we are. So I didn't really get this until I was like 19 or something, but it's easy to go about your life and kind of think as if you're the only being that there is. Like, you need to realize that others have their own world that is, in some sense, totally detached from yours, and if you were to die, their life and their happiness and their sadness and their whole world goes on without you. And their world has as much importance as yours does. That's an, a big thought that we all need to get. And it doesn't come naturally. And you have to almost be intentional about thinking about it to get it. But other people have their own world that will go on without you that's just as important as theirs is. It's something you need to think about. It's something you need to be intentional about thinking about it. Because if you're not, you won't get it. And it's, it's truth. Helpful point number six for uh, being and staying humble. Recount how God saves you and think about where you would be if he did not. This helps me whenever I get tempted to exalt myself over anything I accomplish in life. Because I know that if God would have left me on the track I was on before I like dedicated my life to him, I'd still be one of the laziest people I know. And I wouldn't accomplish much of anything. Because that's where I was before God saved me. Think about where you were before God saved you, before you committed to actually following him, and where you would be now if you stayed on that trajectory. That will help you to overcome pride. For most of us, it wouldn't be very good. For none of us, it would... You know, for all of us, it wouldn't be very good. Helpful tip number seven for being and staying humble. Remember your failures. <clears throat> I like Deuteronomy 9, verse 7. Let's take a look at it. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. I like how clear that is. Remember and do not forget that you provoked God to wrath. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been a rebellious people against the Lord. God wasn't saying this to Israel to make them feel bad about themselves. God knew that they were going to struggle with pride. Because in the future we see they had struggles with pride and they didn't handle them very well. 
They became proud and thinking they were self-sufficient, and they forgot about God. They forgot that they needed God. They did not handle their struggles with pride very well. But, you know, it helps to remember our failures. It helps if you're struggling with temptation to exalt yourself in your heart. Just think about how much you've failed in life. That'll help. Think about, you know, if you start to, like, really feel self-exalting, like, oh, I'm such a good Christian, I'm really going places, like, hopefully you are going places, but, you know, if you start, it, if you start to exalt yourself in your heart um, is really what it's about. If you're exalting yourself in your heart and you can tell that you are, um, think about how many times you've willingly sinned against God, like, on purpose, It's a lot. I've done it a lot. I still do it. And then I repent. But you know, it's an ongoing struggle. Not only that, but this helps to make the most out of your failures. Because you know, when we, when we sin, when we fail, there's profit we can get out of it. There's things we can obtain from it. And if we allow our failures to humble us, we're deriving more value from our failures and our sins. And that's good. If you're going to fail, if you're going to sin, you may as well get the most out of it. <laughs> if I'm going to fail, I want to get something out of it. Remember your failures and allow them to humble you. All right, tip number eight. Think about to whom much is given, much will be required. So if you get tempted to think, oh, I'm so skilled at this, I have so much talent, I'm such a great basketball player, God just made me a better basketball player than the rest of them, you know, well, that's a poor example. Cause, but, you know, there, there's tons of areas where we can think we're, we're special because we're talented or gifted or God gave us all this. But, you know, to whom much is given, much will be required, and that should sober us. We should not be thinking self-exalting thoughts about how great we are. We should be serious about that. Yeah, let's read that verse real quick. Luke 12, 47, 48, just because I wanted to take a look at it. Um, and so, yeah. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act accordingly to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. And from whom they entrusted much, they will demand all the more. So if you think that you're all that because you've been given so much by God, sober up. To whom much has been given, much will be required. Tip number seven, I mean tip number nine. Uh, use the list areas to think accurately in and be purposeful about it. Um, you know, if you were here two, three Sundays ago, you got the list um, of areas to be purposeful about thinking accurately in. That's a helpful list. That helps you prioritize. That helps you be purposeful about it. It helps you not be aimless. Um, you know, if a person's purposeful about those areas... That will go a long way. All right, uh, last section. Uh, I wanted to have one more section to this. Um, 
and I'm calling it Applying Humility Relationally. I'm going to try to get through kind of quickly because we've got 13 minutes left. But humility and pride are very relational. So, you know, we need to actually apply humility in the pursuit of it to our relationships. If we don't, we don't really get it. So, four ways we need to do that. Number one, be willing to receive criticism. Let's look at two verses real quick. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. We should think of ourselves accurately, which is what humility is, to see that we're not always right. But we need to actually apply this relationally. We need to actually receive criticism and be willing to. Willingness is a matter of the heart. You know, this is a choice that you make to be willing to receive criticism. Your will is under your control. You choose which direction your will points in. Willingness to receive criticism is a choice, and it's part of humility. Your attitude when receiving criticism shows whether or not you're willing to receive criticism. You shouldn't be blowing the other person off and just dismissing what they say without thinking about it. You shouldn't be growing bitter at someone for criticizing you. You shouldn't, you know, receive criticism with complaints. You know, if the other person's wrong, you can be gracious towards them and they're being wrong. Not all, even, not all constructive criticism's correct. People will give you bad advice with good intentions, and some of it will be, you know, critical. But even if they're wrong, you don't have to complain or be bitter at them. You can receive it with grace. Because you've given other people bad advice too. Uh, number two, applying humility to your relationships. Avoid seeking to show your own honor. Let's take a look at um, you know, Proverbs 27, verse 2. <laughs> Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Let's also look at Luke um, 14, 7 through 11. Now Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who has invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person, and you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit in the lowest place, and when the host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher, and you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. But you know, this is just applying it practically. When you're having conversations with people, don't be seeking to show your own honor. This is something we can choose. This is an easy choice to implement, to not seek to show your own honor. Make sure your conversations aren't full of talking about how cool you are, or how much you can do, or how much you've accomplished, or how much you have. There can be reasons to talk about those things. If you're in an interview, a job interview, I hope you tell them how skilled you are. <laughs> there, there are times for this, but in general, if this is what your conversation is full of, that's a problem. 
there can be times for, you know, talking about how skilled you are, like a job interview, but it has to do with motive. It has to do with the reason behind it. Because, you know, in an interview, you're not doing it for the sake of honoring it yourself. You're doing it for the sake of getting a job. Motive has a lot to do with it. But there are times, you know, to talk about your credentials. Moses did indeed say he was the most humble person on earth. But your conversations shouldn't generally be filled with that. And if they are, you can do something about it. You can choose to not always be talking about yourself and how cool you are and how you've got this and that and the other. Make sure that you are active about that. Number three, focus on others and how you can serve them. This is a choice you can make that if you choose to do regularly is you know, a big aspect of humility. But we need to apply it. We need to do it. We need to focus on others and how we can serve them. Let's look at Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. You know, start thinking this way. Start thinking about the interests of others. Start to care about them. Start to focus on them. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I just wanted to focus on have this mind in yourselves. If our minds haven't changed to the point where we're focused on others and serving others, they need to. This is the call for any Christian. Our hearts need to become focused on other people and their interest and their well-being. If your mind isn't set like this currently, you need to ask God to change it. And you need to ask God what steps you can take. But you know, you can choose to focus on others. You can choose to seek to serve others. You know, you can start applying this in very practical areas like conversations. Um, if you're always, you know, when you're in conversations, focus on other people. Like if somebody asks you how your day is going and you don't ask it back, you're not focused on others. Like if you enjoy talking about you and you don't give other people a place to talk about them, you're not focused on others. But that's a very thing, easy thing to change today. You know, talk to others about others. Have balanced conversations because that's better for relationship. You don't want them to dominate the conversation because they won't enjoy that. But, you know, you can start applying this today. Focus on others in every area of life. Conversations are just, that's a telling one. That's easy. You can start off with that one. And we need to apply this to our thought life, like what I was saying earlier. We need to be thinking about others and what their experience is like and what they're going through. If we're always only thinking about ourselves and what we want done and you know how we want our lives to go, that's a problem. We should have cares about that. We should want our lives to go well and have ideas about what we want, but we should also have cares for others and how we want their lives to go well and how we can help with that, how we can serve them.
You know, how often do you pray for others? That's a good thing to ask yourself. How often do I pray for others? If you don't pray for others very often, that's a problem. But that's something you can change today. Humility is something we apply. It's something we choose, and you can choose it today. If you don't pray for others very much, you can choose to do so. So ask God to make you more focused on others, more sensitive to what they're going through, more aware. Area number four of how we apply humility to relationships, being gracious to others. Whether or not you're gracious to others has a lot to do with humility. We, we talked about this some last week. Um, You know, we, we need to choose to be gracious to others. One area we need to choose it is in our words. Let's look at Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we're commanded to be gracious in our speech. I just want to look at a few practical areas how that happens. Um, you know, what does it look like to have gracious speech? I'm going to mention a few things that gracious speech is not. It's not insulting people for no reason. You know, this is an easy thing to do. If we, but if you insult people for fun or for no reason, that's not gracious. That's not being gracious with your speech. If somebody else, if you're in a conversation and somebody else presents a bad idea or misunderstands something, and you respond with, well, duh, or, well, that's stupid, that's not gracious. That's an easy habit to fall into without thinking about it. That's not gracious speech. Don't respond to other people's misunderstandings or bad ideas with, duh, or that's just stupid. What a stupid idea. Don't tell people that. That's not being gracious with your words. Thinking that other people's subjective taste is inferior to yours. It's another area where we can be proud in our speech. If somebody else likes their coffee one way and you think that their way of liking coffee is just inferior and yours is objectively correct, you are wrong. <laughs> Don't go around telling other people that their subjective taste is wrong. <laughs> if they like pineapple on their pizza and you don't, you should realize that that is fine. <laughs> God did not make one pizza topping better than another, believe it or not. God made a variety of toppings and a variety of tastes and a variety of people. You know, seek to develop the skill of encouraging others. That's another way to be gracious with your words. We're commanded to do that. Let's look at Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another every day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. You need to develop the skill of encouraging people. It's something that you work at. It's something you have to think about. It's something that takes wisdom, but it's something you get good at. And the last thing I want to say about this, it's, it's very important how you engage with others with your words and being gracious in your words because your, your heart affects your words, but your words affect your heart. 
choosing to talk differently to others, choosing to talk more gracious to others than you currently do will cause a change in your heart. Let's look at James 3, 2 through 5. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at its ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So the ton is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How a great forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. If we learn to control our tons, I think that provides an amount of control over our hearts. Choosing to be gracious to other people in your words changes your heart. We need to be gracious to other people in our words. We need to examine ourselves. What does it really mean to be gracious with our words? Are we actually doing it? How could we improve? Um, it can. You know, if someone's struggling with condemnation and you give them an encouraging word, that's one way of being gracious with your words. But if you have condemning words to people, that's obviously not being gracious. Can we apply that to being gracious to ourselves as well? Yeah, um, being gracious to yourself, I almost added that to this, but uh, it... It's hard to be gracious to others if you're not gracious to yourself. So they kind of go hand in hand. But I would apply that to yourself. If you're always having condemning words towards yourself, it'll make it, you'll be more inclined to have condemning words towards others, or at least condemning thoughts towards others. Have gracious words towards yourself, and that can help to change your heart to make you struggle with condemnation less. Because your words really do affect your heart. It goes both ways. Anyways, that's all we have time for. Um, so in conclusion, two closing points. Number one, humility is something we choose. Humility is something we choose. It's something everyone is capable of. You can do it, and you have to choose to do it. You have to be intentional about it. Uh, closing point number two. There's a number of lists that I gave out in this series, and I think they'll be very helpful if you apply them. Um, this is the first time I've made handouts for anything I've done, and I did it for a reason, mostly because Anvesh is smart and he gave me the idea too. Um, but, you know, these lists will be helpful. They're compact little lists like, you know, tips for being and staying humble. It's very useful if you apply it. But, you know, keep these, think about them, apply them. But that concludes this series. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you uh, for how gracious you are to us. And, um, and we pray that you would cause us to be gracious to others and you would lead us to be gracious to others. We pray that we would clearly see your grace for us and we'd grow in how clearly we see it. We pray that we'd learn to be content in your love, Lord. We pray that uh, you would set us free of all the objections we have to your love and all the problems we have with seeing it. And we pray that you would empower us to be humble and serve and love others the way you served and love us. Uh, we thank you for your grace and amen.